Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, we're going to continue a series uh, that we started last week, and we called it Table Talk. And unlike most of our series, which we kind of group together based around a principle or a certain idea found in Scripture that we like tease out over several weeks, uh, this series is a little different because it is kind of grouped around a theme, but rather than being about a principle or an idea, uh, the theme that we're grouping all these conversations around is around the setting of the table. And uh, the table shows up, all surrounding meals are around a table. Uh, Meals are a big deal throughout all of scripture. Uh, We said this last week that at the very beginning, uh, God creates people and he gives them their first instruction to go and eat. And then unfortunately, they didn't listen to some of his other instructions. And the first conflict in scripture is when they eat of a forbidden fruit. Uh, Jesus, when he neared the end of his life and his ministry, he gathered his followers together for a meal that we know of as the Last Supper. Uh, And it was this meal that was just packed with meaning and significance. And in fact, if you fast forward to the end of the story, the vision for what God's future for all of us looks like is described as this feast where every tribe and every tongue and every nation are invited together to worship Jesus. So meals are like a big deal theologically, uh, but practically, if you look at the life of Jesus, uh, the accounts of Jesus' life, it seems like there's a disproportionate amount of real estate throughout the Gospels or the accounts of Jesus' life given to meals. I don't know if it's because Jesus was an amazing cook or what, but it seems like when they talk about what Jesus did, there's so many times where suddenly he's around a table with people or, or he's having a meal or he's having a conversation with somebody. And uh, I think one reason that this happens is because Jesus understood what we've probably all experienced, and that's that meals are opportunities. Meals uh, just kind of naturally open us up to conversation. There's nothing better than when you've had good food and maybe good drink and you're sitting with good people and you're able to open up about what's going on in your life. And uh, I was reminded about this uh, just yesterday because uh, I'm entering into like not only the holidays, but it's like birthday season in my family because uh, we have a birthday every single week in my family from Halloween all the way up into the new year. So my uncle's birthday was yesterday. We gathered together. It's on Halloween, but we celebrated it yesterday. Uh, Mine's coming up this next week. So we had to figure out like, when are we possibly meeting with all these events going on? Like, what are we going to do? Mom wasn't super happy, but it's okay. We figured it out. So uh, mine's coming up. My sister-in-law's comes up after that. My wife's is somewhere in there. Uh, My (laughs) mom's is somewhere in there along the way. And then it's Jesus's birthday. So it's just like, holiday season like crazy but what we do every single time in fact the whole scheduling conflict is we got to have a meal right we got to like gather together and we got to spend time together and it's so uh, so good when we do get to do that and we talked about how Jesus invited people to his table last week and that Jesus invited both insiders and outsiders to his table that Jesus hung out with the religious people that you might expect him to hang out with from time to time the Pharisees or the religious elite of their day and he did talk about what the kingdom of God is like with them There's a famous encounter he has with a guy named Nicodemus where uh, he actually utters that famous verse, John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That was around a table talking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. But far beyond the time that Jesus spent with insiders, 
Jesus spent a disproportionate amount of time with those who would be considered outside of the faith or those who were considered outsiders uh, to God's people. And, and it made the Pharisees mad. We talked about last week how Jesus constantly shared his table with people that they thought should be kept out, people that they thought should be kept away. And if we're people who want to try and live like Jesus, what we said last week is that presents us with an opportunity or really a decision that we have to make. We can choose to either be door holders or gatekeepers towards Jesus. And we described gatekeepers as those people who like feel like it's their job to be Jesus's bouncer and stand at the door and make sure like everybody checks out according to the list. Religious people love to have a list of what's right and what's wrong or what's acceptable or not acceptable. And we sometimes stand at the door and we are gatekeepers and we say, nope, sorry, you don't belong here. And it's only if you check off the list that you're allowed access to God. But what we said is that that's totally opposite of Jesus's posture. That Jesus instead calls his followers to be door holders, to be people who have experienced all the stuff that we were celebrating today, the grace and the mercy and the love of God that is recklessly chasing after us. But we experience it and we don't just keep it for ourselves. Instead, we understand it's our job to get back to the door and hold it open for everybody else to come in and experience that same kind of love as well. So we have this choice in front of us, but what we said about Jesus's life is that people who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus and he actually liked them back too. And so we said, if we want our lives to look like his life, that means people who are nothing like us should like us as well. And that's pretty tension-filled in our current cultural moment. In fact, we wrapped up last week just by raising all this tension and not resolving it because we showed images of Jesus washing the feet of all kinds of polarizing figures. And we picked them from both sides, okay? So everybody was good and offended and uncomfortable when we left. But the point was that Jesus welcomed everybody. And, and so last week we talked about who's invited to the table. Uh, this week I want to talk about what we actually put on the table. Uh, this week I want to talk about what we have to offer on our table. And rather than talking about like Thanksgiving feasts or Christmas feasts, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Uh, first, I want to talk about leftovers. Who's a fan of leftovers in the room? Yeah? It's another polarizing thing, right? It's either like, yes, I love having leftovers or no, I've never touched Tupperware in my life. Uh, I love having leftovers and I was thinking about it. There's certain foods that just get better when they become leftovers, right? Like it's cold now, so it's like chili season. Isn't it true that chili, it's good the first time, like it's warm and hearty and all that. But if you heat it back up the next day, it's like some kind of refrigerator magic happened and all the flavors blend in a new way. And I mean, there's a lot of opinions about what chili should or shouldn't be. Should it have noodles? What kind of beans do you use, right? Is it spicy? Do you pour on the hot sauce? Or is it like sour cream and cooled out? Uh, is there cheese on top? I think it's all good. Okay, so I'm a fan of all of it. Uh, but there's something magic that happens when it sits there for a while in the fridge. Eventually there's a tipping point. Okay, so hopefully you know that as well. Um, another food that I feel like does this for me is pizza. Right? And specifically, there's nothing better than taking last night's pizza, like 10 in the morning maybe, opening up the fridge and taking it out and eating it cold. I don't know why I picked the world's worst photo of pizza. Um, <laughs> if you see a pizza that looks like that, don't eat it. But again, there's nothing better than like last night's sausage pizza. Breakfast pizza is good too, but I'm talking like real pizza for breakfast, still cold, so good. Uh, one other leftover that I love to have that I feel like it's better the longer it sits uh, is Chinese food. No? Well, I'm going to convince you, okay? So, uh, my favorite is sesame chicken. It's all sweet and delicious. If you want to get a little spicier, you can do General Tso's chicken. Uh, but there's something about it. The next day, it's, again, that flavor magic happens in the fridge. Uh, what's really gross about me is sometimes I think it's so good, I also don't heat this up, which is a dangerous game. 
uh, the chicken's fine. I mean, it's, it's good. I like it. I like to eat it. The rice is dangerous, okay? Because once it's been in the fridge, it's like little needles. So you got to watch out for that. Uh, but I was thinking about this just yesterday because uh, it was like 11 o'clock. I was getting ready to go out and work on the yard with some stuff yesterday. And uh, I was kind of hungry. And I said something to my wife. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of hungry. But we were having lunch later for the birthday party. So I went out and did my thing. And then later that night, she was asking me, she's like, hey, did you have a Reese's cup when you said you were hungry? Because she found a wrapper. I was like, no, no, that was from a different day. Uh, <laughs> but what I did do yesterday, before I went out to the yard, like we were kind of standing by the fridge. And I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of hungry. And I turned and I opened it up and I realized we had some leftover sesame chicken. And so I just popped like four of those bad boys, cold, gross, gooey, delicious. And then I went out and did my thing. So. She looked at me like you're looking at me uh, when I told her that. But my point is that leftovers, at least if you're a leftovers person, they can be amazing to enjoy. Uh, but leftovers are typically amazing to enjoy on your own, right? Like if you have guests coming over, it's not like break out the finest Tupperware and bring out yesterday's meal. Like <laughs> it, we, we plan ahead and we try and have like really well thought through menus and be really impressive when we're having guests over. Nobody wants to lead with their leftovers. <laughs> when you have somebody coming over, it's not like, hey, here was yesterday's dinner. Do you feel honored to join me today? Uh, but what I want to ask for our lives is how many of us actually are living with leftovers? Like how many of us are, are living off of our leftovers? And I'm not talking about food. I mean, I think that can be a great thing to do. But what about like when it comes to your schedule? How many of us would say, if we're honest, that we're just living off the leftover time that we have once we do everything we feel like we ought to do or everything that we try and cram into our schedules. And then when it comes to the big things in life, right, the dreams that we have, the, the big stuff that actually gives us life, the connection that we can have with God, it's like we just try and cram it all in, whatever is left over whenever we can. Um, it's going to get a little ouchy for just a second because I think I mentioned this last week. Um, we were looking at our check-in system that we have here uh, specifically for our kids' ministry, just trying to sort out a few things that were kind of wonky. But we have that system mostly to keep our kids' environment safe and secure, and that's a really important thing to us. But the, like, fringe benefit for me as a pastor is if you come and you bring your kids, you're, like, you have an attendance record, <laughs> right? Or, or your kids have an attendance record, but they don't normally get here without you, at least up to a certain age. And, and so we were looking at it, and we were looking at this window from, like, the past 12 weeks or so, and man, there were some families that I was just so proud of. I was like, this is so amazing. I mean, even families like single moms or, or moms and dads who have done what it takes to show up. They were at like nine out of the past 12 weeks or 10 out of the past 12 weeks. And I thought, man, that's amazing. I thought, and I may still do this. I was like, maybe we just like bring them up here. And so like as a church family, we can say like, way to go. Here's the thing. I also know that's a passive aggressive slam to some of our other families, right? And that's not what I want to do. But in all honesty, looking at the data, just statistically, the way that it goes, there were a, a couple of families that were like, yeah, we've been there nine or 10 out of the last 12. And then most families had been here two or maybe three times in the past 12 weeks. So like maybe once a month. A and I get it, right? Life is busy. And that's one thing if you're an adult and you're like able to make it when you can. And, and again, I don't mean this to sound as judgy as maybe it's coming across, but when it comes to our kids, I mean, it's so important for them to get a sense uh, of foundation for their faith. And, and the only people who can get them there are you. And, and so it's such an important priority. And it may be kind of a gut check moment that you're living off of leftovers in your schedule. If it's like, man, we can just get there if we can get there, when we can get there, when there's no better option going on, right? It's this indicator that maybe life's a little too full. Some of us are living off of leftovers as it relates to our attention span, 
because we're just like cramming all the info in all the time and, and scrolling all the time. And we all know the studies, right? We all hear that, it, hey, this isn't good for you. And yet there we all go, continuing to do it. And so anxiety is on the rise and depression is on the rise and we're just unable to focus. And it's because we're living off of leftovers as it relates to our attention. And then it comes to faith, right? And a lot of us are compelled by this idea that there really is a God who really wants to do great things in and through our lives. But when we think about what we actually have to offer to that God, maybe you feel like it's just leftovers, right? It's just scraps. It's like, I'm just ordinary old me. And if, if you're talking about doing something great for God, like you better find somebody else because I'm just, I'm me and I'm just trying to keep my head above water and, and live my life. And so I think some of us are living off of leftovers. And what I want to look at today as we come to the table uh, with Jesus is Jesus actually taught us what it looks like to lead with leftovers, but not to live from leftovers. He, he taught us a way that we can live that doesn't leave us just scrapping together and hoping that we have enough, but instead he shows us that he can take what little we have and do extraordinary things with it. And the account we're gonna look at together, it doesn't actually happen around a table, but it does happen around a meal. Uh, the meal happened on a hillside, and it's one of Jesus's most famous miracles. It's recorded in John chapter six, and it's the moment where Jesus takes five loaves of bread and turns it into this meal that's able to feed 5,000 plus people. Like I said, it's a famous story. If you ever grew up in church or around Sunday school, you probably heard it. But the story actually starts out with tension because Jesus uh, was starting to get popular at this point. His ministry had been going for a little bit. Word was getting about town. And so this crowd was gathering and they all gathered on this hillside to hear Jesus talk. And that was great. Uh, but Jesus was going, right? And it was getting late in the day. And so Jesus' disciples could hear their stomachs going, and they're like, oh no, there's a lot of people here, right? And it's great to have a crowd, especially if you're a communicator doing something like that, but it's dangerous to have a hungry crowd, right? Because <laughs> a hungry crowd turns into a hangry crowd pretty quickly. And so the disciples are getting all stressed out because they're like, they're hungry. We didn't bring any lunch. Jesus is still talking, right? Some of you feel this because you come to the second service and it's like bumping up to lunchtime. And you're like, he's still going. Right? We've, got, we've got things to do. I feel the, like the hanger is there. And, and so these disciples are stressed out and they're kind of murmuring to one another. And then Jesus asks a dumb question. Okay, Jesus turns to Philip, one of the disciples. And it says, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then they give us a little inside baseball to what Jesus was doing. It says he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was gonna do. But Jesus asked this question to Philip that Philip can't answer, right? He's like, where are we gonna get all the bread to feed these people, Philip? What do you think we should do, buddy? And I can imagine Philip's like, you're Jesus. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I'm trying to learn from you. Like, I can't feed 5,000 people. And in fact, Philip is like, listen, Jesus, you know what's in the treasury, okay? You made the thief the treasurer, which I don't think was a good call, but we can talk about it later. But like, we haven't come up with the mega church yet, Jesus. Like we can't afford to feed all these people. It's just little old ragtag us out here. And Philip answers Jesus and says, it would take more than a half of a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person here to have a bite. And Philip's smart. And he knows that the only thing worse than a hungry crowd is a crowd who's had just one bite. <laughs> and then they're like, I need more. And so it makes the hanger fire up even more. But Jesus asks Philip this dumb question. He's like, hey, Philip, where can we get enough bread to feed these people? And why do you think he did that? I think when Jesus does this from time to time in scripture, when Jesus asks what appear to be kind of dumb questions, uh, what he actually is doing is he wanted his followers to see that what was about to happen 
wasn't within their means. He, he wanted them to like do the math and realize, hey, what do we actually have here? C- can we actually do this? And the disciples were like, no, right? I don't have the food. We don't have the money to buy the food. This is going to be bad, Jesus. And then Jesus shows off. Jesus does something unexpected. And I think there's times in our life, maybe those moments that feel like they're scarcity moments, where Jesus might just actually want us to do the math for us to realize that what he's going to do in and through our lives doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from our ability. It doesn't come from our strength. It's something that he wants to do for us, that it's not because of us, but because of him. So Jesus asks this dumb question, and it leads to an even dumber idea. (laughs) because Andrew, one of Jesus' disciples, is like the guy who starts talking before he's thinking. And and so he's like, I've got a solution, Jesus. It says another of his disciples, Andrew, who's Simon Peter's brother, which kind of gives you a clue, because if you know anything about Peter, he is the bull in the china shop of the church. He would just like charge through before he had a plan. So his brother learned from him, and he spoke up, and he goes, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many, right? It's like he did the Michael Scott thing from the office where he started the sentence before he knew where it was going. And he's like, look, I got a kid, Jesus. And he's got five, oh, five loaves and two fish. And there's a crowd. And I said all of this out loud in front of you. Like he's shrinking back in that moment. And it seems like a dumb idea in response to maybe dumb question. And you might think Jesus would go, yeah, good try, Andrew, sit down. Right, like that, that was cute. Good try. But that's not what Jesus does. Andrew throws out his dumb idea and Jesus goes, bring me the boy. Right? Jesus is like, okay, I'll work with it. Bring him to me. And, and I think what we can learn from that is you never know what God is going to do when we throw our dumb idea his way and he chooses to leverage it as a conduit for his transforming power to play out. Like sometimes we just have to have the courage to go, hey, here's what I got and, and see what God does with it. I was thinking about our story here as a church, and uh, when we were getting started back in 2017 and 2018, there weren't a lot of churches of our style in the community. There were a lot of churches, okay, but not a lot of churches in our style. Now there's some that kind of seem similar, like Abundant Life's here, and they have similar lights and sound and that kind of stuff, and some people go to Fuel Church. That's a big church, and we don't have to be in competition with one another, by the way. Uh, But at the time, there really wasn't kind of an expression of the church like this, and there were people, when I told them what we were setting out to do and where we were setting out to do it, they were like, that's a dumb idea, Eric. (laughs) Like, that's not going to work. Because do you know where most church planters go in Indiana? Most new and exciting church planners, uh, young guys out of college, ready to go do something big for God, they go to Hamilton County. And and they go to Hamilton County because there's a lot of resources and a lot of people, and it's growing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, Hamilton County needs thriving churches, uh, and it makes sense on one level to, like, we'll go where the growth is happening, and that'll help us grow, and we'll draw people in. But we had the dumb idea that maybe people in Miami County mattered, too. (laughs) Like like we had the crazy idea that like maybe we should try it here. Um, Some people thought it was a dumb idea that we were going to do church in a movie theater. We would tell them, they're like, where's the steeple? I'm like, well, there's people. (laughs) There's a big screen. But but people, like, they couldn't wrap their head around it. They're like, that seems like a really dumb idea. (laughs) I was thinking about our story, and maybe the dumbest idea is we've done this three times. (laughs) Right? Like, we started out as a church, and then 18 months in, uh, this merger happened, and I was leading the way still. Like, I was like, hey, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to lean in. But as it was happening, I'm like, this is a dumb idea. Like, I don't, I don't know where we're going, and I'm in charge, and I don't know who we are. Any- like, what's our name? Our, like, our color used to be green. Is it orange? Like, what do we do now? Wait, it's blue? Like, uh, we're trying to make sense of it. 
And then fast forward 18 months on the backside of a pandemic that was still kind of burbling along. And then we're like, you know what? Let's go back and do it on our own again. We'll go back to green, right? Like, we're going to launch off on our own. And, and it was just like, that feels like a dumb idea to me when I do the math, right? When I'm like, insecure leader me is like, are they going to follow the third time or are they going to catch on that you might not know where this thing's going? <laughs> and, and it felt like a dumb idea. And yet, look what we did today, right? Look what God is doing through this yes that we keep offering to him as a community and as a group of people. The point is you never know when God's going to use a dumb idea to bring transforming power in somebody's life. And, and Jesus specializes in using dumb ideas for his big purposes. And it's not just here at Story. Like we've been talking about Moses in our past series. Moses was not the guy. Like if you stacked up his credentials, Moses was a murderer living out in the desert with a stuttering problem. And God shows up and God offers Moses this instruction that I'm going to send you to talk to Pharaoh and tell him what I have to say. And Moses is like, no, 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 <laughs> no, you're not, buddy. <laughs> like, I'm not the guy. And yet God uses him in a powerful way. He's this powerful leader. Uh, I was thinking about this in more recent history. There's a guy that I've, I've heard about and look up to who's a priest uh, out in California, out around LA. And he was there in the 80s and the 90s when there was a lot of gang violence firing up and there still is, uh, but he was a part uh, of this community. He was a Catholic priest. He was trying to figure out how do I meet the needs of my community? Like he felt burdened by God that we should do something about this gang violence that's happening. And, and so uh, he tried to do his church services and guess what? Church people came to them, but not the gang members that he felt called to reach. And then eventually this guy named Father Greg Boyle had a dumb idea. He went out and he started a bakery for gang members. Like, come get your delicious baked goods and hang out. A and he went out and he started it. A and what do you know? He hired former gang members to be a part of his business. A and they worked there and eventually they hung out there and eventually these relationships started to form. And eventually some of their lives started to change because of that feeling of connection that they got to something that was actually good for them. And lo and behold, it birthed something that's now known as Homeboy Industries, which is like a multifaceted business nonprofit that exists specifically to employ current or former gang members and help them lead into transforming experiences in their life that actually bring them healthy connection. This dumb idea of a bakery for gang members became this incredible way that God has reached people in that specific community. So thing number one we can learn at, at this meal from Jesus is don't underestimate the power of a dumb idea. <laughs> like, like don't count yourself out. A and this is a little bit of a sidebar and I'm getting a little long-winded on this, but I'm thinking about where we're going uh, this Christmas season. I'm really excited kind of about the theme we're going to focus on together, but we're calling it wonder uh, because I think that's something that in many of our faith experiences today is deeply lacking, is a sense of awe and wonder in what God is or can do. Because what's happened for many of us is we're on our phones all the time or we're on social media all the time. We're just busy with work all the time. We're running like crazy. And as our world has gotten more complicated, it seems like we've tried to rationalize it more and more. We've tried to understand it. And we think, I mean, we've got so much information at our fingertips. We think that we can, right? Everything's just a Google or a Siri away. A and so like we plan and we scheme a lot. And on the other side of it, we've lost a sense of wonder. We've lost a sense of enchantment in the world. We've lost this sense that maybe God could do something that doesn't add up to me, that maybe God could do something that doesn't quite make sense to me. And I think for many of us, rather than needing more plans and more directions, 
for many of us, what we may need in our faith is a holy disruption. It's something that happens that we're like, that couldn't have been me, right? That, that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense. If you think about this scene, there's something else that happened, okay? Before Andrew grabs the little boy and brings him to Jesus and Jesus does his thing, there's something else that happened because this little boy was there. And that morning, that little boy woke up and he's like, hey, I've heard Jesus is around and I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go see what all the fuss is about. And he got up and somehow he's like the only one who brought something to eat to this party. I mean, there's 5,000 people, but in the way that they counted people back then, uh, that means 5,000 men. So if every man happened to have a woman with him and they happened to have a kid at some point along the way, that could be up to 15,000 people who are gathered together on the side of this hill. I mean, it's a crazy crowd. And yet this boy is the only one who has something to offer. This boy is the only one who had a meal. Like, can you think about it? Maybe that morning he woke up and he goes to the counter and he breaks out the peanut butter and the jelly because I just imagine that's what kids have eaten for eternity. And he's like spreading it on the, on the white bread or the wheat bread or whatever your thing is. And maybe like his mom walks out and is like, hey, hon, what are you doing? What, what's the plan today? He's like, I'm going out to see Jesus. I could imagine his mom might <laughs> be like, hey, you don't have to bring food because I've heard about Jesus and, and I've heard Jesus provides. In fact, your cousin was at this wedding the other day and they ran out of wine. Like it was just going to be water, which means no party, right? And then all of a sudden, Jesus brings out the best stuff. So like, if you're going to see Jesus, you don't have to pack a lunch. Some of us act like that in our faith, right? Some of us act like that. And yet the boy is like, no, no, no. I'm going to bring what I have, right? I'm going to pack the lunch. I'm going to bring what I have. And because he does that and he shows up, he provides the raw material with which then Jesus does the miracle, right? He shows up and he just offers what he has, and for us today, like, I wonder, what if Jesus wants to do a miracle with whatever you have to bring? And it may be as ordinary as whatever this boy's lunch was. <laughs> it may be just a little bit of your time, maybe a little extra money that you have, maybe some type of talent or ability that you could offer or lend to somebody else to help them with. But what if God wants to do something incredible just through your ordinary presence made available to him, something that you offer to him? What if God wants to use what you bring and if he wants to use what you can bring, what does it look like for you and for me to actually pack our lunch? Right? What does it look like for you and me to be ready for him to do something extraordinary? I think what's remarkable is this boy packs his lunch and Andrew grabs a hold of him and he brings him to Jesus. But then the boy gives the lunch to Jesus and then he exits the scene. Right? Like all of the miraculous stuff happened on the other side of this very ordinary act of going, here you go, Jesus. And then we don't even hear about the little boy anymore, at least in the text of scripture. He just brings it to Jesus and then he gets out of the way. And I think there's something that we can learn from that too. Because some of us, what we do, maybe you do the first step, right? You pack the lunch and you show up and you've got the willingness and you're like, yeah, I'll give you what I have, Jesus. Like, use me. And then we give it to him. And then we kind of want to like instruct him on how he should use it and when he should use it and to which people he should use it and where it's acceptable and where it's not. And it's like this control thing that so many of us still do. But if we're willing to actually get out of the way, it puts us in a position to experience the wonder of what Jesus can do. And, and so maybe a way to say that is let him have his way with whatever you offer. Let him have his way. Because like imagine being that little boy who showed up just to hear Jesus speak. He happened to bring his lunch. He gets pulled to the front by Andrew <laughs> And he's like, give me your lunch, kid. And he gives it to Jesus. And then he walks back 
And he's seeing what happens, and Jesus sets the basket down, and he pulls out a loaf, and he hands it out, and he pulls out a loaf, and he hands it out, and then eventually the kid's doing the math, and he's like, wait a minute, right? <laughs> I know what I packed. How many fish? Like, he's just watching that. Can you imagine what that boy felt offering what he had to Jesus and then watching Jesus do something extraordinary with it, something that is so beyond him, something that he could never do on his own. The awe and wonder of God at work happened in that little boy's life as he saw Jesus do something extraordinary. And here's maybe the tension, maybe the point for us today. When's the last time that your scarcity went into God's hands and became his abundance? Right, I get it. Like, we all do have limitations, and uh, embracing those limitations is actually a healthy practice for most of us. But when's the last time that you felt like, you know what, I don't have a ton to offer, but I can give what I have? A- and you actually gave it to God, and in so doing, you watched him do abundantly more than you could ask or imagine or ever do with those resources on your own. When's the last time your scarcity went into God's hands and became his abundance? I've shared my story before, and I'm going to give like a quick highlight of it because I feel like in so many ways, this is my story. Like the fact that I'm up here and that we get to do this together, uh, you know, when I'm not tired, like <laughs> I'm like, man, this is the most incredible thing that, that I get to be a part of it, that we get to do this. Because like I see my daughter growing up right now, and, and she would love to be up on a stage until you get her there. And then it's like, whoop, there's people out there. And I used to be like that too. Like, when I was a kid, I was so shy, and I wasn't, like, the ringleader of any group that I was a part of. And, and as far as my faith goes, uh, eventually I ended up wandering into Oak Brook Student Ministries, which was the student ministry of the church that I eventually was a leader at. But I was a sixth grader at the time. And sixth grader, seventh grader. I brought my seventh grade girlfriend with me because it seemed like a cool spot where other kids were hanging out. And I saw this experience, and I was like, man, this is cool. Maybe there's something to this. Uh, in the eighth grade, I learned how to play guitar poorly to impress a different girl, and it did not work, but uh, <laughs> I learned how to play guitar, and then I was at this student ministry again, and I'm like, you know what? They've got lights and sound and guitars, and I want to be a rock star, so why not do it for Jesus? <laughs> and so I got involved with that team, and eventually my freshman year, uh, we were doing this big opening service in a new building for our student ministry, and I weaseled my way onto that stage. I was not talented enough to be there, not a single person heard what I was playing on that guitar that day because I was not prepared and I was not good. And they had good sound people who went, nope, not that kid. <laughs> but, but I was on the stage, right? Like, like I was a part of it and I got this taste of, of what it was like to be a part of something God's doing. And, and I met friends who influenced me and helped me grow my faith. And fast forward several years, eventually one of them was like, hey, have you ever tried teaching? And the next thing I know, I'm trembling behind a podium that's as tall as I am. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And then eventually, fast forward even farther, somebody was like, hey, we're going to start this church in Peru. And have you ever thought about doing it? And I was dumb enough to say yes, <laughs> right? Like, like I, not because I was qualified or capable. Or, I was just like, you know what, maybe. Let's see what God does. Let's see what God does. And that's not a story that's exclusive to me. All of us have that in us, something like it, right? All of us have something to offer. All of us have our own crazy, dumb idea that we're like, maybe God's in it, but we've been afraid to step into it. Here's the coolest part of the story to me. So the boy gives what he has to Jesus. Jesus takes it. He does a miracle. He feeds everybody. And then the text goes on and it says, when they had all had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, 
gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Like Jesus didn't just fill them. They ate till they were full and then they had leftovers. Right? And think about like this meal. It, it was enough for a little boy at the start. For 15,000 people, it was leftovers at best. Right? It was just this little scrap of food and the boy goes, here you go, Jesus. And Jesus not only meets everyone's need, he hands leftovers back. And, and I don't know who the leftovers went to. The text doesn't tell us. But I like to imagine that maybe those 12 baskets went with that little boy. And he like loaded them up on his arms and he's running home like, Mom, you're not going to believe what happened. I told you I should have packed a lunch. Like, it's just so powerful. But it's this picture of abundance. It's this picture of a God who can do more than we ask or imagine with the little that we're willing to trust him with. And so... God can use you, but he wants to use you in a way that actually leaves something left at the end of the day. He, he wants to use you in a way, like is it possible that you could be used by God and still have something left for your spouse or for your family and for God and your relationship with him and for your community? Like is it possible to, to live from leftovers, not like just from the scraps, but live in the abundance of God provided to us? You don't have to live outside of it. And, and so many of us, we think the answer is just try harder and do better and get it more together and then God can do something great. But that's never been the model. That's never been the story. It's always been, here's what I've got. I'm gonna give what I have. I'm gonna get out of the way. I'm gonna trust you. And you're gonna do more than I think you can. Time and time again. And listen, I, I wanna be really clear this isn't like a prosperity story that I'm telling you where I'm like, if you follow Jesus, you'll be healthy and wealthy and wise for all your days. If anybody tells you something like that, like consider the actual 12 disciples, almost all of whom died in poverty, really horrible deaths. It didn't work out that way. It didn't work out that way for Jesus either, right? Like look what happened to him. That's not the story, but look at the influence. Look at the impact, right? Th this ragtag group of guys who were just like, I don't know, Jesus, what? we're not qualified. <laughs> We're just trying to figure this thing out and keep up with him. They changed the world through God's power at work in them. And here we are a part of that same story. And we are just as unqualified. <laughs> but it's just as possible that God might want to do something abundantly more innocent through us. And so many of us, we're running on empty and we're missing out on the abundance of God because we think it's up to us. We don't need to bring more. We just need to be absurdly comfortable with not enough and trust. We need to be absurdly comfortable saying, here's what I've got, Jesus. Will you use it? And I'll get out of the way. And it doesn't have to be big. It could be a little extra time that you prioritize. Time to notice somebody. Time to show up in their life. I mean, that could be transformational. A relationship can change everything for anyone. Maybe it's some extra resource that you have that you choose to invest in a worthy cause. You choose to make a difference. Maybe it's a talent or an ability that you have that you don't tell anybody that you have because you don't think you're that good at it, but maybe if you put it into practice, it might actually grow like a muscle and you might actually find yourself living in your sweet spot. I was thinking about this dynamic, and I'll close with this. Um, uh, there's a guy in the community who uh, has been a part of a lot of churches. He was a part of this church all three times. Um, and and uh, tragically, unfortunately, he passed away recently. His name's Craig Bruce. Um, he's been around this community for a long time. 
In fact, some of you don't know this, he helped start Oak Brook, like the first time around in the 80s. And then he helped start Revolution Church over in Logansport, who we partnered with. And then he helped start us, and then he helped start us, and then he helped start us. And then he was a part of some other churches as well. Just an incredible guy. Uh, when I think of him, he's so faithful. And uh, I was able to go to his celebration of life yesterday. And uh, the room was pretty full. And they did the thing that happens often at funerals that if we're honest, most of us are pretty uncomfortable with. I mean, we're all pretty uncomfortable with the whole thing, but, but there's that moment where the pastor often is like, hey, does anybody have any sh- stories that they want to share about this person? And normally, just speaking honestly as a pastor, normally one or two people say some things, and then most of us are just uncomfortable, and then we hate feeling that tension when the pastor's like, anyone else? It's a normally that's what happens. That is not what happened yesterday. This room full of people, the pastor was like, hey, does anybody want to share something? And person after person after person after person shared. He actually commented on it. He's like, I've never officiated a funeral where this many people had something to say about a person. I mean, it was at least 15, 20 people maybe who stood up and had something to say about Craig. And what I love about what almost all all of them said is it wasn't like crazy, miraculous, God descended from heaven like a dove in Craig's life stuff. It was that Craig was kind is that Craig had this infectious energy that he would just bring everywhere. That, that Craig was so faithful, that he just had this childlike faith that believed God could do big things. <laughs> he was the exact kind of guy that church planters need to come alongside and be like, God can do it, let's do it. He, he built the energy. I mean, again, our team's here, setup team, 5 a.m., don't care how much you love Jesus, nobody was excited to be there, okay, except Craig. He's like, let's go, here we go. And, I was just thinking about the impact of a life like that. They're little things. But he was a guy who was willing to say, here's what I got. Here's what I got. Here you go, God. Do what you want. Here you go. Do what you want. And it ended up with this legacy of people who only had good things to say about how much faith this man had in God and how much influence he had on other people. And the same thing's possible for each of us. The point is that God can take your not enough and turn it into more than enough. But it starts with us offering it. It starts with us being willing to say, look, I I know it's not much, but I'll give what I have and I'll get out of the way and I'll trust you to do what only you can do. And when we're willing to do that, when we're willing to have that kind of trust and that kind of faith, we see Jesus do more than we could ask or imagine. And we get to stand in the wonder in the awe of a God who moves through ordinary people like us. Let me pray for you. God, um, this is easier said than done, like most things we talk about. But God, there's so much redemptive potential inside of each of us that, that I feel like for many of us, we're just so distracted or so busy or just so like trying to scrap it together and live off the leftovers that, that we miss the opportunity, that it hasn't been activated in us. God, I pray that uh, that example of that little boy who just showed up and gave what he could, that you used to do something miraculous that points back to your power, I pray that that could be an example to us. That in whatever season we find ourselves in, we would find what we have and we would offer it back to you. That we wouldn't try and be good enough for you, that we wouldn't try and like muscle our way into faith, but instead we would acknowledge that we don't have enough, but that you are enough. And that when we offer to you what we have, You meet us in it and you give us an abundance that we can live out of, an abundance that even leaves leftovers for us. So God, I pray for each of us that we would have clarity 
around what you want us to do with what we've heard, that we would be creative and we th- when we think about what we have to offer. And God, that our lives would tell a story like my friend Craig that we were talking about of just ordinary acts of faith and belief and trust in you that can create an extraordinary life of influence. God, may it be so of each of us. We pray all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.